0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we find out about fossils and the way in which they interact with the geology of our planet. Now, to form a fossil you have to have just the right conditions. So how can changes in our planet have formed ideal conditions for preserving some types of fossils? Plus, the way in which fossilisation process itself has actually changed the composition of our planet, even deep beneath the surface. This week, the interaction between fossils and geology. When we think about climate change, we often think about the way it affects our future, or maybe even the way it affects us today with rising sea levels, more extreme rain and flood events, along with increased droughts and wildfires. Climate change can have a very real and tangible impact on our day-to-day lives now and into the future. But our climate has also undergone significant changes over its 4.5 billion years here on Earth, and most of that is to do with the way in which the atmosphere and the continents themselves and the oceans and everything around them changed too. Now, that has led to some pretty extreme and useful things for humans. For example, the development of an oxygen-rich atmosphere. That wasn't how the climate originally started out here on Earth, but it definitely developed, which was a very advantageous thing for us. Again, the climate changed as well when the wiping out of the dinosaurs, we believe perhaps influenced by asteroids or other events. Now, these are all ways that climate has changed in the past. Not Human-made climate change, as we are suffering from now, but actual geological basis, and in these cases, it actually creates some pretty interesting effects that we can see today. And using these, we can understand the way the climate has changed in the past. And one of the ways we see this is through fossils. We want to turn to now a paper published in the journal of Scientific Reports from researchers from the University of Texas in Austin. Lead author was Shijini Sinha, along with contributing authors Muscante. Schiffbauer, Williams, Scheidgert, and Martindale. Now, when you say fossil, what we're referring to is in fact something that was once a living creature, but has then since become preserved in some form or the other. Now, a fossil and a fossilization process can come in different types, but at its intrinsic core, it's about preserving something, an organism dying and getting trapped in some way that enables it to f- trap all the minerals within biological tissue and keep them preserved in a way that people can sometimes see with unaided or preserved bones or flesh or skin, or even perhaps full cells, even feathers in the case of our childbirth. It depends a lot on the manner in which the fossil was formed. Different formation conditions lead to different types of fossils. And this is really the incredible thing. It's an intricate process that requires just the right conditions to occur. And if you're thinking about something big with strong features like a bone, well that's relatively straightforward to preserve. Soft tissue. Now that to be preserved requires some pretty interesting processes or conditions to be present. Especially if you think about preserving something like a squid. A squid like creature like a vampiropod, which has ink sacs, crustacean-like claws, or a fish with gills and eye tissue. These are all incredibly soft things and preserving these is really, really difficult. Now, if you think about how you would capture some of these things, you need the right type of sediment. These are both aquatic creatures, okay, so they were in water. When that creature died, it's fallen to the bottom of the seabed or lake bed or river bed. And then it was preserved in some way, perhaps by the sediment there present at the bottom. Now, how and what conditions are best to preserving a sediment? is depends. And if you look at a particular point in time, and the rapidly changing climate of earth around 183 million years ago, it may have created some pretty unique conditions that made fossilization in the oceans really quite easy to do or at least easier than it had been in the past, which is can what yield some amazingly preserved soft and delicate body of deceased marine animals from 183 million years ago. Now, the fossils that were being analysed by these researchers came from a number of different locations across the world. The Posidonia Shale in southern Germany, Strawberry Bank in southern England, Yahatinda Tinda in Alberta, Canada. Now, what was present in all of those locations in the fossil areas was phosphorus. Now, what was pretty surprising, because phosphorus is really common in bones, so finding in fossilised fish skeletons not unusual. But when it appeared, when they used scanning electron microscopes to study these fossils and collect trace elements of all the different chemicals present, they weren't actually expecting to find phosphorus in, you know, tissue. Because, well, often you find this in bones, but not so much in soft tissue, or like a crustacean exoskeleton, or even the soft squid-like tissue of the memperopod. Now, that suggests that what actually was the source of this phosphorus wasn't, the like, the bone itself. Actually, it was present in the... Mid- environment itself that then got secreted and stuck with the fossils. Now the problem is phosphorus whilst an interesting chemical isn't actually normally available in high concentrations in marine sediments. It's an element you don't expect to see actually normally at all in sedimentary rocks. It doesn't often get buried in huge amounts unless something pretty unusual has taken place. Now, what could be something that's pretty unusual is a period of extreme and rapid climate change caused by an influx of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, perhaps triggered by the volcanic eruptions that occurred in the early Jurassic. Now, that's an example where the climate of Earth undertook a pretty dramatic change, and there was a lot of rising temperatures, which meant more rainfall at that period of time as well. More rainfall, stripping off the volcanic rocks, large amounts of phosphorus from them, ending up with, in the riverbeds and the ocean beds, phosphorus-rich environment full of sediment. And that's a pretty amazing case. So the unique conditions of the early Jurassic, with perhaps a rapidly changing and wetter environment due to more volcanic eruptions, leads to an abundance of phosphorus. This phosphorus flows down all the rivers, melted by the rain, and forms a seabed that is just perfect for collecting and preserving all kinds of soft tissue fossils. Now, figuring this out is actually interesting because they've actually traced this back by finding a column element in all of these types of fossils. Fossils that in, such as tissue or soft features that normally wouldn't otherwise contain phosphorus. And it shows the power of chemical analysis and skin electron microscopy of amazing fossils. But it shows to show how climate change can lead to, perhaps, a, a better fossilisation conditions. Now, for example, human-made climate change that is occurring right now is reducing the oxygen concentration in oceans. Now, we have to wait millions of years before we see if that changes the fossilization performance of our oceans. But let's not hold our breath on that one. Let's fix the climate change problems as best we can right now. But what's important to remember here is that actually you can end up with fossil-rich conditions depending on a whole bunch of factors, not just a particular geological environment in that area or maybe a large event like a landslide or an eruption, but also macro world scale events like what is happening to concentrations of gas in the atmosphere or even get concentrations of different chemicals. This kind of work shows what amazing things we can learn by studying fossils and the way in which the ecosystem of our planet, the geology of our planet, are intrinsically connected and how we peer back into the past helps us unravel all of those mysteries. Now this is research performed by University of Texas, Austin, University of Missouri, Bath, Royal Literacy Society Scientific Association, and Stuttgart State Museum of Natural History, published in the journal Scientific Reports. Lead author was hsien Example of how biological life was influenced by the geology of our planet changing, but the actual creation of life on our planet has also changed our geology. That's what researchers from Itihej in Zurich have published in the journal Ge- Science Advances. Lead author was Andrea Giuliani, along with Drasdal, Woodhead, Plavaski, Phillips, Hurt, Griffin, Osch, Dalton, and Davies. Now, what's important to remember is that whilst things like eruptions, creating more phosphorus present in our soil that gets run off into our streams and our ocean seabirds, that's one way of geology and events on Earth impacting the formation or capturing of fossils. That's great. That's geology impacting life. But the other way is also true. The fact that we have huge amounts of life on our planet starts to impact our geology. Of course, I'm not just talking about the way in which oil is formed and all the other kinds of gas or the carbonaceous environment, but it's actually really amazing to think about what happens here on the surface of our planet. Life living on the top actually then starts to impact the interior depths in our mantle on the Earth. This is pretty amazing, and that's what Giuliani and his colleagues were diving into. To do this, they examined rare diamond bearing volcanic rocks called kimberlites. And they looked at these ones, kimberlites, from different periods in Earth's history. By studying the changes in compositions and what was present in each of these, because these rocks are all formed in a similar way, it gives you a good way of benchmarking the conditions of Earth as it changes over time. They measured the isotopic composition of carbon. So looked at the amount of carbon and the type of carbon in about 150 of these samples of these special type of rocks, the kimberlites. What they saw is the composition of younger Kimberlites, which they categorise as any rock that is less than 250 million years old, so young in a geological sense. Now, the carbon concentration and composition types of carbon they found in those type of rocks was varying quite substantially from the older rocks, rocks older than 250 million years ago. In many of the younger samples, the composition of carbon isotope is way outside of what you would normally expect to see in rocks from deep in our mantle. Now, what happened around 250 million years ago that would have caused such a strange change in the concentration of carbon? Well, you have to go back a little bit further, around 450 million years ago. There's a period at the beginning of the Cambrian epoch, where in a relatively short, from a geological sense, period of time, around a few tens of millions of years, there was what's called the cambrian explosion now in this relatively short couple of million years earth had a huge amount of life flourish almost all of today's existing animal groupings as you can see had their first appearance on earth at this time this enormous increase in different types and amount sheer amount of life forms in the oceans basically changed what was happening on earth's surface. And thus, when these creatures died and fell to the bottom and became sediment, well, it changed the composition of the sediment at the ocean. Then, of course, what happens after that is this ocean seafloor gets churned over as part of the continental movements. Now, for the Earth's lower mantle, this changeover takes a lot of time because what happens to the sediments of the seafloor, this, all this material from these dead living sea dead creatures gets onto the deposit onto the floor. And then through the process of plate tectonics along the subduction zone, these sediments are dragged and pushed down under the underlying oceanic crust and pushed down even further to pretty great depths. So in this way, you get carbon that was on the surface, then drifting down onto the seafloor, then on the seafloor getting pushed down into beneath the crust and subducted even further down. So you're getting carbon sequestered this organic material sequestered into Earth's mantle. Now, once you're inside the mantle, all kinds of stuff happens. You're not bound by plate tectonics anymore. The sediments will mix with other rock and material inside Earth's mantle, and it will take time for this process to occur. Plate tectonics is a slow, slow process, and it will get recirculated, recycled, and eventually you'll get some volcanic eruptions where some of this is emitted out as magma. Now, that process, they estimate, could take around 200 to 300 million years ago. If you remember back at the start we talked about what they were finding was a change in the isotopic composition of carbon at around 250 million years ago 300 million years before that was the Cambrian explosion so that means there was enough time for all of the amazing new life forms developed during the Cambrian explosion to die off get pushed down underneath the crust into the mantle get mixed around and then formed into rock and then erupted out again as kimberlites and this is incredible to think about fossils actually changed the composition of what is underneath our crust and changing the geology literally of our planet. Now, it wasn't just carbon. The researchers also examined the isotopic composition of other chemical elements, things like strontium and hafnium, which have a similar pattern to carbon, but they can be effectively used the same tracing techniques but these weren't changed as much as perhaps the carbon, which is a useful thing as Giuliani notes to point out because that means it wasn't another chemical or geological rated process that saw this change in chemical composition of carbon, because otherwise you would have seen changes in other elements like strontium and hafnium, which wasn't the case. So this means it could really only be performed by life forms, or increase of carbon amount from life forms on the surface being subducted down. Now, if you did the same study looking at say, phosphorus or zinc, then you'd probably look even more interestingly, at the emergence of life itself. And you see how the interaction between what's on the surface gets then changing the composition of what's underneath the surface and also what's erupted out. This all is linked together. This is also, of course, a time period earlier than the previous story we're talking about, which is around 180 million years ago. So here we're talking about stuff that happened, the Precambrian explosion, the Cambrian explosion, in fact, 500 million years ago, then all of that material getting subducted down and coming back up again as rocks around 250 million years ago. And now we also talked earlier about how there was a phosphorus-rich environment which made perfect for fossilization to occur, happening 150, 180 million years ago. All of these things show how linked life on Earth here is to the actual geological processes of the Earth itself. You can't consider life without the Earth, in a geological and environmental sense, and vice versa. Some amazing research published in the journal Science Advances, for researchers from ETH Zurich. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Point. Life on the surface and what makes up the rock and the planet that we stand on are intrinsically linked and interact with each other in strange and beautiful ways. That's what we found out this week as the interaction between fossils and geology. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.